The Athletic. Qatar pillar. Messi's towering turn against Croatia sees Argentina triumph 3-0 and book their place in the World Cup final once more. Who will they face? Wednesday semi sees Morocco take on France. It's a diaspora derby. Can the team from Casablanca play it again against Deschamps' usual suspects? We'll be looking at that game and more in this Totally at the World Cup. Day 20. Listener at the World Cup, I think. I'm a bit unsure because we've been away for a couple of days. But it is the World Cup, and we've got with us here in the studio today, Charlie Eccleshire. Hello, Charlie. Hello. And fresh back from Qatar, Raphael Honigstein. Hi, James. Looking forward to hearing your experiences of this most particular of World Cups. Uh, Charlie, we haven't seen you at all. You've been on paternity leave. Yes, I still am, uh, but managed to get out for one night only. Nice. Um, for this very special what occasion. What a night to pick. Well, exactly, yeah. yeah. Well, I I was very confident, as I said, during the game, it was going to be a nil-nil mm. go-touch time. I seem to think that for... I think I've been scarred by previous World Cups and Euros knockout games that in my head are quite often stalemates and go to penalties. So mm. I, I thought this would be one of them. So What's been your highlight of the tournament so far? I think... Um, I So I've watched a lot of games at night with a sleeping baby on me, often recording games and not finding out the score, which is very, very old school. And I did that the other night with the Argentina-Holland game. And so it was about, I don't know, I think kickoff for me was about 10 p.m. So I had a kind of, you know, late night feel. And uh, I was thrilled by it. My heart was pounding to such an extent, I thought I might wake the baby up. But uh, he slept straight through. It's a hell of a story, John. Mm. Hell of a story. So much has happened in the last month. The opening game seems so long ago. One thing, actually, which was a, a big talking point when the tournament began was the protests, the killings, the repression going on in Iran. And, and Iran's team, uh, the expectations of some kind of protest movement from them and, and the, the, what their presence in, in Qatar represented. And uh, I mean, since then, a lot of other stories have kind of taken our attention. But... I don't know if you saw today, Fifth Pro announcing that uh, professional footballer Amir Nazar Azadani is facing execution in Iran. Uh, already we've seen some protesters uh, face the death penalty because of their uh, their roles in, in, in basically campaigning for women's rights and, and, and the cause of freedom in the country. It's just uh, an astonishing situation, but it really underlines the kind of pressures that the Iran team were facing when they chose not to sing the anthem and, and, and uh, the other... You know the the other gestures they made. Anyway, uh, a terrible, terrible situation, and uh, one can only hope that perhaps the involvement of a footballer will mean that that the pressure will increase because so much other stuff just seems to be happening without that. But anyway, we're here to talk about the World Cup. So, having had the first of our semi-finals this evening, let's talk Argentina three, Croatia nil. That's Argentine commentary on Argentina's pretty extraordinary third goal. We'll hear more of Charlie and Rafa's thoughts on that and the other 90 minutes or so. But first of all, 
uh, on the whistle at the Lausanne Stadium. This is Jay Harris with his thoughts. I've watched Messi a couple of times before play for Barcelona and at this tournament I've had the pleasure of watching him I think twice now for Argentina and it's it's like a religious experience the way that the, the Argentina fans bow to him and that's before he's even scored a goal. So the penalty, that's his bread and butter. The assist for, the, for Alvarez's first goal was nice. But I mean, that assist for, for the third goal was absolutely sublime. That's Messi at absolute best and that's what World Cups are all about. So I think we all thought Croatia would cause Argentina a lot more problems than they did. But I mean, that was as comfortable as World Cup semi-finals go, I think. Absolutely. How was the atmosphere? The atmosphere is exactly what you expect from Argentina fans. Even in the first 20 minutes or so, when Croatia were probably the better team, they were still singing and chanting the entire way. Then obviously once the goal started flowing in, they just take it to another level. They're literally bouncing up and down all over the stands. <laughs> it's quite a sight to see because there are so many Argentina fans, but then obviously there's, there's more local people thrown into the mix. And <laughs> they don't really know what to do when Argentina fans are bouncing up and down, but after a while they join in, so it's all good fun. Excellent. You've seen Argentina before this tournament. Are they growing towards their game of destiny? Yeah, I definitely think so. The first time I watched them was when they played Australia. And they obviously went through 1-2-1. One, one, but they looked a little bit clumsy at the back. And that was against an Australia team that, I'm sure they won't mind me saying, doesn't have the greatest amount of quality. It doesn't have a lot going forward. So I was a little bit concerned that if they came up against the Netherlands, they'd have um, a much trickier time. And for a large part against the Netherlands, that wasn't the case. And obviously, Greg Horst and Luke de Jong came on, and all of a sudden, having two traditional number nines up front caused them all sorts of problems. But they were much more resolute today. It was a really good performance at the back. I thought Ottomendi, you know, forgotten man from Man City's past, actually played pretty well today. Much more compact, and obviously, they still had space going forward as well. Jay, I know you're really looking forward to getting out to Qatar and being there at the World Cup. Nights like tonight, do they, do they live up to your expectations? I think it's a fast them. I knew it would be fun, but I guess just that actual moment of, oh my word, like I'm finally at a World Cup, it's been simply sublime. More messy magic tonight, so I feel sport rotten in that regard. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network and sponsored by Live Score Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Jay Harris, uh, witness, would you say, there to Argentina's best performance yet? Rafa? Convincing performance, I would say. Um, none of the Argentina games have been hugely impressive throughout the whole 90 minutes. I think they've always had spells, they had moments. They've been growing into this tournament. Today was perhaps the most complete performance in terms of the result. But if you look at the first half... There's an argument that they were outplayed for large spells of it. I'm not sure it was all by design. They scored through two counterattacks, which isn't really their game, but was very effective. And it brought to mind something I read today by Tobias Escher, who's one of the uh, analysts on uh, Spielverlagerung in Germany, who said this Croatia team are, are very good at not losing, but they're not very good at, at winning. Uh, and of course, he was re referencing their their record of results but also I thought in the game because they were winning sort of the contest in the first half they were the better side I thought Argentina looked very passive very open but Croatia just couldn't find that last or even the penultimate pass to make that count that territorial advantage that they had and the possession that they had and then they got 
hit on on two counter attacks and certainly the second one was a bit of a freak freak goal from their perspective because you have two challenges coming in and twice the ball just bounces into Alvarez's path and uh, he takes full advantage but yeah Argentina are a good side taken to great moments through a certain player that we might have mentioned once or twice over the course of the last three weeks three uh, who is this um isn't he, where's the number 10 ah yeah Leo Messi. There we go. Hey, this is a Croatia not being very good at winning. They only won one game over 90 or 120 minutes even to get to this semi-final. Or even ahead. I mean, that was the only yeah. game they even led in. The Canada game. Yeah. yeah. But Argentina, for that, that early kind of stalemate where neither side was really making any chances, Croatia did venture upfield and then Argentina were very smart on hitting them once, twice on the break. So the first goal, which unlocked the match which set everything rolling in Argentina's direction, there was a lot of hoo-ha at half-time about whether Argentina should have been given the penalty from whence Messi put them in the lead. No. Peter, are you suggesting a goalkeeper who's coming out in the line of the ball has to move out of the way to allow a player to have a free shot? No, he doesn't move, but he needs to make sure he gets some contact on the ball. Otherwise, he'll be classed he? as, class as impeding the, pl the progress of the player coming towards him. What's Peter, your thoughts, Charlie? Uh, it makes us a big talking point. It was a penalty. There's a weird thing. There are two weird things in football. One is that if you, if you pass the ball and someone comes steaming into you, it's obviously a foul. Right. But if you shoot... People are kind of like, and then someone steams into you. You're like, well, got the shot away, so can't possibly be a foul. Was the line of the pundits though that he hadn't that uh, that he hadn't steamed into him? He just stood his ground. Mm, I don't think so. I think he makes a movement towards the player. Right. And also, the other weird thing is that goalkeepers are kind of have license to do that sort of thing. Were the pundits told to make a big story at halftime about this? No, I don't think so. I think it was a case of groupthink where they all convinced each other that right. it wasn't a penalty, whereas. I think everyone else watching, or to a large extent, thought this was, I mean, was nailed on. Yeah. yeah, I think the point is that, yes, the goalkeeper is unlucky, but if any player challenges for a ball and gets unlucky mm. by not actually making any contact and is clearly impeding you or basically taking you out by raising his leg as he did, which was something that wasn't mentioned, I think, in, in some of the analysis... Right then I don't know what other decision you can give. Especially because in this case, mm. it wasn't so much a shot, but actually you could interpret it as Alvarez putting the ball past the goalkeeper and then having no chance to take it because the goalkeeper takes you out. So All right. I don't see what is any argument. I think... No, that's enough on the penalty. <laughs> but they didn't think, I think there was even a... A small suggestion this could have been a red card. Right, if, although Lovren was running around that... Exactly, oh, if Lovren right. hadn't been there to cover. But, How did you feel about Messi and the way he dispatched that spot kick? Well, for a player who, as is well documented, isn't amazing at penalties, uh, it was it was absolutely perfect. Um, and I think, you know, everyone now with Messi does have those little bit of that, that little bit of doubt when he goes up to take a penalty. It's, like, it's the only area, it's his own, it's his kryptonite, I suppose. It's his Achilles heel. His Achilles heel, exactly. Mm. But I did think, it, you know, the, the pundit uh, sort of the group thing that Rafa describes, it did an amazing thing and made Peter Walton the most sensible man in the room. It was amazing. Everyone was in agreement with Peter Walton. When has this ever happened before? Probably loads of times, Charlie. <laughs> the penalty was incredible, though, because it is quite a high risk pen mm. to hit it. What kind of pen quite, was it? Well, he blasted it into the corner of the net. And we saw from a certain Harry Kane 
until recently what, what can go wrong if that is your approach yeah the, the the upside is if you hit it that well there is literally no chance a goalkeeper can save it i mean you have to grow an extra arm two goalkeepers aren't saving. might not even messi i mean remember 10 years ago now against chelsea at uh, one of his famous misses penalty misses he struck one like that and it smacked off the crossbar in that semi-final which Barca went on to lose to Chelsea so he's he's got history it's his fifth penalty at this World Cup he's scored mm. four of them uh, including the shootout Alexander. yeah hmm? including the shootout one right against the Netherlands mm-hmm. Duncan Alexander reporting that between Lionel Messi and Harry Kane that well those pair have taken four percent of all penalties awarded in World <laughs> Cup history I mean it's Duncan so does anyone even check these numbers anymore <laughs> Sounds about right. 4% of all penalties awarded in World Cup history. World Cup's been going on since, what, the 30s? Wow. Okay, well, so that was the first goal. And then really soon afterwards, Julian Alvarez, who had quite the game, went on that extraordinary run while Croatia kind of basically imploded around him. It was like one of those, you know, when you see the hero running through an exploding landscape and kind of (laughs) smokestacks are collapsing on either side. It came from a corner, I think. Mm, It did, yeah. And uh, usually you'd expect Croatia to have a decent defence there. The problem was that the two challenges that went in didn't do enough. Uh, usually you'd think one of the two will be sufficient to win the ball or you know the ball bounces off somewhere too. But by some kind of freakish combination of, of circumstances, it just twice fell into Alvarez's path and then it was an easy finish for him. But the run was, was still... Was still great, epic by itself. Yeah, it was because yeah, I mean the wind in his hair, the the cries of "pass it to the man on your left." Yeah, exactly. Pass yeah. it on the man as I as I was demanding, mm. foolishly as it turned out, because he uh, he had a better idea. But yeah, it was um, very uncroatia goal to concede. It was, although that was I get that was when Argentina scored. There was a relief, and I said, "No, hopefully this means Croatia." Albeit they were already attacking, but you hoped. Okay, they're going to have to push out now. And so it proved from that. But it's interesting as well, don't you talk about it being like a film. I mean, the last challenge remind me of a kind of football film where they always get it wrong and players make these really unrealistic, unconvincing attempts at a tackle. And that's what the last one looked like. It's kind of flailing over and collapsing to the ground. It was, it was pretty ropey. Wow. Nice. Uh, what kind of movie would the messy, the, the, the messy manoeuvre on, wow. on, on Guardiol for the third goal be? It'd be one of those old school effects where you speed up the film a little nah. bit. <laughs> nice. <laughs> nice. So he, he's got, he takes possession of the ball out by, sort of vaguely out by the kind of right hand corner. Yeah. And Guardiola's there, highly rated young defender. And, and then? Well, I mean, it's messy right at the beginning of his career. Do you remember he used to play on mm. the right? cutting in which we don't see so much of now I mean you know he drops so deep and he moves all over the pitch but yeah here he was in that inside right channel and um, yeah he, he he stops him a few times and then goes again the little shimmy with the shoulder just absolutely world class against as we've heard so much about you know one of the yeah. most promising defenders in, in world football 15 years as junior as well wow yeah which you know there is a point at which the knees don't quite have so, quite the same explosivity well especially as he was walking around even in the first yeah. half you know looking like he was carrying an injury and tugging I, himself <laughs> as we heard His often he, was, he did keep tugging himself uh he was definitely playing within himself you there, there were a couple of times it was comical where pass was played up a channel 
And he's like, I mean, guys, come on. I'm, not, I'm obviously not going to run after that. But it reminded me a bit of, where, you know, I've played foot matches with old, retired players, you know, legends, and they don't really move about. But whenever they get the ball, it's just like, whoa, this guy's on another planet. And that's what Messi's doing at this World Cup. I think the effect is so extraordinary because you're not, not really conditioned to seeing a team playing with just 10 men, effectively. Mm. Um, it just doesn't seem to be possible in 2022 to win games at a high level like that anymore i'm not sure you could do it in the champions league but maybe at the world cup where the quality is a little bit lower teams are not quite in as in tune with themselves and the pace is a little bit lower maybe you can still do it but i don't think you he'd be able to play so passively shall we say or so efficiently to put a more positive spin on it playing for psg in the champions league for example but right here it works and that scene was just a sort of the the cherry on the cake as we say in germany not the icing the cherry uh, because it was just the thing that made this semi-final the messy show up until then messi played well alvarez was playing well but that moment i think will be the moment that we'll all think about when it comes to celebrating Argentina's runners-up spot in this competition. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but, on that, he, he sets up, I don't know, you, you may have mentioned this, but he doesn't actually score the third goal, but he, yeah. he sets up uh, Julian Alvarez and then, and then Bosch. But, uh, but can yeah. I say, that's such a good point, I think, Rafa makes there, about the fact that you, you just can't really get away with passengers in you know, elite Champions League football. And one of the reasons I've really enjoyed this tournament is because we're so used to seeing teams like Man City who are so efficient in everything they do, it's often very mechanical. It's been quite refreshing to see teams that are really flawed. And you and I thought Argentina were a bit more coherent tonight. Mm. But often they have looked a little bit like they're doing it on the fly. And Messi is, you know, he's kind of just going here, there, wherever he fancies. And, and it's been a lot more interesting, I think, than often uh, the Champions League is for that reason. Well, obviously, we don't know who they're going to be play, uh, playing in the final yet. But you were saying you, you can maybe afford to play in that manner at a tournament like this. With a, with a star like that who's not participating in the rest of the manoeuvre. But can you afford to do it if you're up against France in the final? Maybe France is not the worst team in that respect because they don't actually want the ball that much. They will not punish you for not having that guy to press because they don't really care about building up necessarily from the back. They're quite happy for you to have the ball. They're not as reactive and focused on transition as they were in 2018 but they're still a side that can as we saw against England that are quite happy for you to have the ball and they will just go up and, and take one or two chances so I think the fact that you know Argentina have no effective way of pressing them or winning the ball back early doesn't really hurt their chances too much against France per se the bigger problem I think is that this is France which I think from the outset, even with all the injuries, is the best team by quite some distance in this competition and therefore will probably kill not just the narrative but also Argentina's and Lionel Messi's dream. Good Lord. We'll talk more about France and their attempts to end Morocco's extraordinary run very, very shortly. But a, a word on Croatia and Luka Modric, who we've seen surely at his last World Cup, probably will get to enjoy them at the Nations League final, which is right up there in terms of prestige. Nations League finals, of course, you can tell me, Charlie, mm. who are the four teams <laughs> contesting that next summer? Uh, Spain. Spain are in there. 
Also Croatia. Croatia, so, of course, yeah. goes without saying. Hungary. Hungary. Hungary are not there, Rafa. They're not. No? No. Did Germany? No. Germany, certainly. Hungary won Wait. the group. No, Italy, it must be. Italy. Okay. Oh, Italy. Yeah. And one more. That's right. France? <laughs> no. It's Netherlands. Uh, ah, yeah. It's the Netherlands. Yeah, Ronald Koeman can win a title with them. Bingo. There you go. But yeah, well, that will be some, some consolation, I'm sure. But mm-hmm. no, it, it has been you know, a phenomenal period for them with you know runners-up in 2018, could well be third uh, at this tournament. That would be an incredible achievement. And it, it is a shame. You know, Luka Modric, who obviously has been completely overshadowed tonight, understandably, but yeah, an amazing couple of tournaments that he's had. I mean, that Brazil game was just... His ability to just sort of play the game on his terms and we've seen him do it so many times for Real Madrid that they'll Real Madrid will come up against a team often an English team and we think oh Real Madrid aren't that good anymore like this this team should beat them and then Modric just bends the game to his will and he did that against Brazil and it's just watching a master in action although Brazil should have still quite comfortably won that game looking at their chances looking at when Croatia scored yeah they should but there was still I still think for long periods in that game Brazil really looked pretty clueless and I think Modric is a big reason for that going to go to Peter Wharton on this one (laughs) (laughs) all right Uh, very shortly as I say we'll look ahead uh, with uh, special guests Meher and Julien to Morocco France and talk about some other things as well this is the Totally Football Show sponsored by Live Score Bet the home of squads Squads is a weekly free-to-play game. You reveal five players across the week which make up your squad and you can earn cash each time they score in the selected games. The cash amount is decided by LiveScoreBet's prize wheel and can range from 10p up to £50 per goal, which you can spend once the final player is revealed. Find out more and play squads for yourself for free at LiveScoreBet.com or by downloading the LiveScoreBet app on Android and iPhone. It's over 18s only and full terms and conditions apply. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This is the Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. The Athletic is the only place you can read articles by Daniel Taylor, Amy Lawrence, Phil Hay, James Pierce, Ollie Kay, and the very best football writers around. For 28 nations, the World Cup is already over. For England, of course, they're in that group, already in that head, held high, difficult decisions ahead, looking forward phase. A lot of discussion, Charlie. I don't know if you've picked up on this. Should England have a foreign manager? That's today's big talking point on this Tuesday. While we wait for uh, Gareth Southgate's decision over whether he has, in his words, the energy to uh, to go forward. Rafa, would Germany consider a foreign manager, a non-German manager? I don't think so. At one point, they were looking at Goose Hiddink and uh, Roy Hodgson. Mm. Roy Hodgson? yeah. When, on the back of his uh, Switzerland success okay, right. in the late 90s, yeah, early noughties. But they sort of quickly realized that it would be 
compounding the embarrassment on the pitch to have also Interesting. Uh, basically raising the white flag. Interesting that in this country... We, we are useless. Yeah, we, this country, which is normally so acutely sensitive to the notion that they might need other people, that that, well, that the English people might need for, foreign expertise. A lot of the uh, people calling for managers from abroad to be considered don't don't seem to be, regard that as embarrassing at all. Colin Miller has very handily compiled a list of the last time leading football nations hired a non-national. Holland, 1978. Italy, 1967. Brazil, 65. Spain, 62. Argentina, 1934. I personally am of the opinion that a national team should be managed by a... I mean, that's the whole point of having national mm. teams. Players and managers should come from that country or be eligible within, you know, FIFA regulations, blah, 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 blah. Um, however, were other nations to be considered? Thomas Tuchel, apparently, would be rather keen to... And were Gareth not to continue? Thomas Tuchel, Ralph, I don't know if there's anything you've heard about at all. Any word on this? Well, I think Thomas Tuchel is very happy to be in London and would like to continue working there. Whether that equates taking over the England team, I'm not so sure. I think he is somebody who wants the daily work with with players. I think he is a little bit too young and too ambitious mm. to take this role at this moment in time. If indeed it was offered to him, we don't know if, if Gareth Southgate might not want to stay. But it doesn't strike me as the most natural of, of fits. There were some tentative moves to ascertain whether he might be interested in a Germany job oh. if Hansi Flick were mm. to leave. And it's my understanding that it never really got off the ground. First of all, because Hansi Flick stayed, but also because there wasn't really any great enthusiasm um, on either the side of the German FA uh, nor him that this would be sort of the ideal job at this point but maybe maybe it's because not London I'm not sure uh, maybe <laughs> that changes things okay yeah it would feel like an odd one for him personally if I were him I would want to be I mean he you know he won the Champions League only what 18 months ago mm. I, I think he's still an absolutely elite manager and typically now anyway the best managers aren't managing international level but I think as well, like on the, it's clearly a debate that we in this country are desperate to have because it's a, it remains a completely hypothetical situation. My hunch is that Southgate will stay. He's not said he's going. So it's, it, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a, this, the type of conversation we want to be having and it seems a bit premature. Mm. It's, it's a function of how the Premier League works because you have obviously foreign owners, you have foreign players and foreign managers and you think why should England be this protected little... We can buy the best. Yeah, no, well, not just the best, but at least somebody who is seen on a, on a high level. And because English managers don't really have many opportunities domestically for, for the reasons we just mentioned, that just leaves you with a very small small pool of possible candidates. And that's, I think, that's why people think, I don't think they necessarily think the English, English managers are per se sort of deficient or can't be good managers. It's just who would you actually pick who is available it's a very sm small list. Um, I can't think of three or four. I can't even think of one. Who's well, Who's English and who's available yeah. right now? Yeah, but, but I mean, they'd presumably push. I mean, they wouldn't be able to get it, but someone like Graham Potter or Eddie Howe. But mm. they would. They're, I mean, that'd be crazy to step down yeah. effectively in terms of certainly financial re reward internationally. 
Uh, we've seen in Africa, the African sides having best World Cup in, in ages with mm. managers from their own nation. So that seems to be very much the trend. Although there is a, a story going around on this Tuesday that the Brazil of all people might be considering a high-profile international manager to take over from Chiche, a high-profile international manager by the name of Carlo Ancelotti, <laughs> which would be extraordinary. Ooh, certainly raise an eyebrow or two. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, yeah, because that's what he... Yeah, right. Okay, Spain, they picked up a guy called Luis de la Fuente. Have you heard of him before, Charlie? No. Okay, Rafa? I know Luis de Finesse, but uh, that's a different... No? No? Not familiar with him. Luis de la Fuente won La Liga with Athletic Bilbao twice in the early 80s. He's done brilliantly with various junior sides for Spain, winning the under-19s. Ooh, under 21s as well. Won the silver medal at the Olympics in 2021 in Japan. He's 61. He's taking over from Luis Enrique. God love the process. Mm. What's quite interesting about when you are just picking, you know, someone from your own country and right. not looking at what you you might have to make some slightly left field choices. Well, I guess the fact that, that he's like come one. up through the system yeah. and it's a uh, like Gareth, like Gareth. Yeah, fair. Uh, Rafa, uh, shocking news that Manuel Neuer fractured his right leg and is out for the season, the Bayern and Germany captain, fractured his right leg during a skiing accident. What on earth was he doing skiing? I don't know. It used to be that it was in the contract of mm. Bayern Munich players specifically. Or footballers, I think. Get well, Bayern specifically because you have the Alps on your doorstep. Okay. And they would go skiing all the time. So I'm very surprised. Um, of course, he only had the chance to ski because he had extra holiday, which kind of compounds, if you will. Um, this this uh, accident, this malaise. And it adds up to what has been a pretty bad World Cup for Bayern because they've also lost uh, Lucas Hernandez to an ACL and uh, Sadio Mane, of course, just before the World Cup. So three big players won't be playing much, if any, football in the second half of the season for Bayern. They might only win the Bundesliga by X number of points. Wow. Yeah, they've got bigger aims. Who have they got in the Champions League? PSG. Lionel Messi's PSG. Well, there you go. There you go. Now, there's still some World Cup to go. We've got semi-final again on Wednesday and it's Morocco against France. We'll talk about that next. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service any time. Sounds like a real game changer, if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. You're listening to the Totally Football Show with James Richardson, sponsored by LifeScore Bet. You can get the latest football betting odds at LifeScoreBet.com. Over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. Wednesday at the Al Bank Stadium, it's Morocco against France. Top scorers in the competition against top defenders. 
uh, colonists, if you will, against a former territory. Fearsome French lineup against lineup of players who sometimes play in France. It's a fascinating clash. And to give us a better handle on it, who better than Maher Mazahi and Julien Laurence? For people my age or, or a little bit younger, you know, the, the millennials, the new generation, I think we're much more comfortable adopting several nationalities and, and living with these these layered identities. I can tell you about my father-in-law. He's been living in France since 1975, and he refuses to get French citizenship, even though he's been eligible for, for decades now. It's just something about that, you know, the, the older generation that lived through colonization. There's a, an element of pride where they cannot accept French citizenship, even if they're living in France, you know. Like these players, they're born into it, they have absolutely no problem navigating the two. They don't see this as, you know, colonizer versus colonizing nation. They just see this as, you know, the country that I went to school in and the country that I'd go home and have summer vacation uh, at. So it's just, it's much more of a harmonized relationship, I think. They're like brothers. I don't know if it's... If it's a good thing or a bad thing to know your opponent so well, we saw in a way with Lloris and Kane that I think he can mess your head up a little bit. Let's say Kylian in the first 15 minutes can't, can't go past Hakimi. Then do you try, do you force it? It must feel a bit funny and a bit weird, like considering they spend so much time together outside of football and they speak on the phone literally every day. So I, I don't know, it's going to be great. I, I don't think they would enjoy it. I think they would rather not having to face each other, but now it's there. And on top of it, it's not just they're facing each other in like a friendly at the Stade de France or somewhere in Casablanca or wherever. It's the semi-final of the World Cup as well. To, to, to add spice to what is already a quite an incredible encounter between two best friends. It will feel like a World Cup semi-final but in Morocco, which they don't, they, to my knowledge, they've never organized one. So it would be like that. I think there's 30 flights arriving or 50 flights between today and tomorrow, full of Moroccan fans. The Moroccan Federation have been very, very good at buying a lot of tickets and just giving them out. That plus the community, the big community of Moroccans who live here permanently, the expats, is going to be amazing. I don't mind it. I don't think the French players will mind it. Yet it will be loud when France have the ball because they're going to boo and whistle but it's going to make for an incredible atmosphere. If they've shown any weakness defensively uh, against Portugal and even against Spain, it's been with set pieces. And Olivier Giroud is such a monster in the air. I think he could be the one point that, that Morocco really struggle with. So they need, I think, their starting centre halves to have a chance against France because other than that, I think Olivier Giroud could be an even, even bigger threat than Kylian Mbappe on that front. What was missing for Spain and Portugal were players who could take on Moroccan players 1v1. And I think in Dembele and, and Kylian, we, we have exactly that. I don't know how successful they will be, but we saw when Nico Williams came on for Spain, for example, in the last 16 game, that something changed. Suddenly, I think the Moroccan defense were a bit more like, whoa, 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 what's going on here? He was taking Masrawi 1v1, he was beating him, he was crossing the ball. There was no one there, you know, to get the ball in, in the box, but we will, have, we will have Giroud there. And I think if the 1v1 work, or even if you can create 2v1s, why? Because this Moroccan team is going to be super narrow. That's what they do, and they shuffle, they block so well. 
if you move the ball quick and then you, you create those 1v1, I think that's where we can cause them problems. And so far, nobody has done that because nobody has had winger against them like we do in Kylian and, and Dembele. When Sergio Busquets stepped up to take Spain's third penalty, I believe, Yassine Bono uh, dove to his right to save it. And he cracked a smile in midair before he saved it. <laughs> it, was, uh, it was a really cool thing to see. And that's sort of his personality, the goalkeeper. He's very laid back, very calm. But other than that, the, the celebrations at final time, you know, the players with their mothers and their children, and that communal, convivial aspect to this Moroccan run, I think has been so great to see. And I think it's something that people that aren't hardcore football fans relate to a lot. And I think that's what's pushed them really as this favorite of the neutrals. Mahem Azaki there, and Julian Laurent, of course, for a match-up this. Hey, throwback to January of this year, when PSG were doing their Qatar Winter Tour, and Mbappe and Hakimi were there at the Education, what's it called, Education City Stadium, where Mbappe and New France were going to be playing Tunisia, and, and Mbappe, who's there with Hakimi, says, says this. I hope we're going to win, and after we play against Morocco, and... Um... I have to destroy my friend. I'm going to kick him. <laughs> that will break my heart a little bit, but you know the football. It is what it is. Incredible. It is what and it's going to happen tomorrow. I mean, some of it. Probably all of it, actually. What a, what a game. First of all, in some ways, this semi-final might look similar to the one we had on Tuesday of a, a major footballing power against a side who've surprised everyone by getting here mostly on some very, very tight defending. Do you think it's going to be a similar kind of game? I think it might be a similar scoreline, though I think Croatia obviously have a lot more tournament experience and, you know, I thought coming into it, it was a harder game to call. I think France, you'd make much bigger favourites than Argentina were going into tonight. I mean, these games tend to be tight. There was Michael Cox tweeted a good stat that since and including Italia 90, only two World Cup semi-finals after 90 minutes have been won by more than a goal, one of which was tonight. Wow. The other one, Rafa, you may remember the game? I do remember the game, 2014, yeah. That's it. So, you know, generally they are tight, but even that being said, I do think France will... That's an incredible statistic. Yeah, yeah, it is. I did think tonight um, that it's very, it is rare that you get comfortable wins at this stage of the World Cup right. uh, in the semis. But yeah, I do, I do think, you know, all that being said, I think France will, will win reasonably comfortably. I, I feel like Morocco might just run out of steam a little bit. And they'll be missing a couple of players. So. Yeah. We, I mean, we said very, very similar things before the Portugal True. game. And a little bit before True. Spain as well. Rafa, can you, can you make any case for a Morocco, for this incredible story to continue? Yeah, you can make a case because defensively they've been so superb and France, as we talked about, prefer more open teams, prefer teams that, that have the ball. Uh, makes things easier for them. I just think that France will find a way and once that first goal comes, then it won't be enough for Morocco just to sit. I mean, they can and see maybe after 70, 80 minutes open up really late and maybe surprise France, maybe the way Switzerland did, if you recall, uh, last year when France thought that the game was won and really lost, lost a lot of focus and lost shape. But... If you'd asked me what would happen if these two teams play each other 10 times, I would 
make France heavy favourites to go through at least nine times. Morocco will have to find that one out of ten occasion to make it to the final, which would be, I mean, just actually voicing that thought makes it seem quite surreal. Just the chance that this might happen is just incredible. But um, I still think it's a quite remote chance. I mean, they haven't been behind this tournament, Morocco. They've only conceded one goal. That was an own goal. So it will be interesting. I remember England had a similar situation at uh, the Euros uh, last year when they didn't concede in their first five games. And then the question was, well, what's going to happen if they concede? And they went behind and they came back. But it will be interesting. You know, what did Morocco do? Their whole game plan has been about being defensively resolute, being hard to beat. Were they to go behind against France? At any stage, that would be a test they haven't faced all tournament. And, and it will be interesting to see. Maybe they will find an extra gear, but um, that would be a huge challenge. And obviously France have, you know, a great deal of firepower and you'd expect them to score on the night. Did England come back? Yeah, they went behind against Denmark. Oh, yeah. I mean, however it goes on Wednesday night, it has been an incredible success story for Morocco and hopefully one with loads of very positive after effects. And Maher was saying when we spoke to him that they're incredibly keen to host the World Cup. They've tried, they've bid for it five times before. But the, the feeling is that with this campaign, particularly if they can get through to the final, that they will be have. It makes them a serious footballing nation and one that can't maybe be, be ignored quite so, so easily. I mean, that would be extraordinary to see. Based on what we've seen of their supporters and what we're going to see, I think, on Wednesday night, to see a World Cup in Morocco would be uh, quite something. We'll wait and see what happens on Wednesday evening. And, of course, there'll be a Totally at the World Cup straight after us. Before we finish off today, though, uh, one thing we haven't talked about, really, and kind of for obvious reasons, because it's it's almost too big a subject, really, Rafa, is, is um, the fact that you were the, the, one of your housemates in Qatar passed away during the tournament. I'm referring, of course, to Grant Wall. And I mean, if there's anything you wanted to say... I still find it hard to, to talk about it, James, and to find the right words because you you spend three weeks, nearly three weeks with a guy and you hug him goodbye on Wednesday night and then two days later he's suddenly not there anymore. Um, not coming back from covering a World Cup and doing what, what he loved and what he did so well. It's really very hard to, to understand. I think I'm in, still in the sort of denial phase of um, of grief. Um, it's just a huge, huge loss to to football and not just to journalism, but to football because the guy, I think through his work, transcended football and became part of the fabric of the game, certainly in the States with his importance. He was sort of the voice of of football, certainly the pen of football and reminded me a little bit of the pioneers in the 1920s in Germany were a lot of people who brought the game to Germany were journalists who then became involved in clubs and became involved in federations. He was that kind of guy who didn't just cover the subject, but actually wanted to help the game and everything he did, even though he was very critical and wasn't shy of, you know, making the right points about the right people and shining a light on a lot of stuff that football likes to brush under the carpet. He was still doing it from a point of trying to help the game. And that's why you'll have that's why you saw such an outpouring of of love for him. It's just, just terribly sad that it's 
had to happen this way. Mm-hmm. And with, with reference to what you just said, I mean, one of the many sadnesses is the fact that the World Cup, which will now happen in the United States, along with Mexico and Canada, he won't be there to see it. But um, yeah, I mean, truly sorry for, of course, everybody connected with what's happened with Grant and uh, for what you went through as well. Uh, that's it then for today's Totally at the World Cup. We'll be back Wednesday night reacting to France, Morocco. And I do hope you'll be joining us then. We've also got a special show on Thursday. Let me just flag up to you. When I say special, what I'm talking about, Charlie, is a TIFO crossover. Mm. What's that, James? Well, uh, I'm not entirely sure. (laughs) TIFO are some pretty smart cookies, and they've got a lot of shiny toys with which they break. They take football matches and they break them down. Uh, I'm going to be sort of guest hosting a kind of crossover podcast thing, looking ahead at the World Cup final, whoever's in that. I mean, we'll see. I make no promises. None. Very good. For now, though, that's it. Many thanks to Rafa, Charlie, Maher, Jules, Jay, producer Charlie, you listener. Always you. See you soon. From all of us here, it's goodbye. You've been listening to The Totally Football Show, part of the Athletic Podcast Network. Discover bonus video content by searching for The Totally Football Show on YouTube and see the very latest subscription offers at theathletic.com slash totally. The Totally Football Show is an athletic media company production and sponsored by LiveScore Bet. Get the latest football betting odds at livescorebet.com. It's over 18s only. Please bet responsibly and be gambleaware.org. The Athletic.